Thanks for listening to the Highlands Highfields Message Podcast. Whether you're new to Highlands and are listening for the first time or you want to hear a past message again, welcome. Our heart at Highlands is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus so you can have a life full of purpose as you grow in your faith and lead others to Jesus. We hope you enjoy and are inspired by the latest message from one of our communicators. So good. Well, it is my absolute pleasure. Um, can we all be upstanding as we welcome um, Jonathan Gulo from Suncoast Church? Thanks, Maddie. Uh, who loves Maddie? Man, you can host a service. I heard a very special cheer from a mullet man at the back. The special, whoa! Great job. Um, Nice to, nice to be here, nice to see you. As Maddie said, I'm, uh, I'm from Suncoast Church on the Sunshine Coast. Um, I have memories from my childhood. I said this at both service this morning, I want to say it again tonight, of um, this wonderful couple who were older than me, and they still are older than me. I don't know how, it's amazing how that works. Um, and who loved Jesus, were faithfully building, being part of building local churches and building the kingdom of God. And yet here they are now, decades later, still full of life and faith and vision and courage and character and leading a church that is inspiring churches all over the country. And I really want to take a moment to appreciate your senior pastors for the incredible leaders they are. And man, I mean that. You know, um, I don't know if, if, you're, if you're new to church or maybe exploring faith or this, or this has been your home church for a long time. Um, Jesus said one day, I'm getting real deep here really quick, but he said one day we'll stand before our Heavenly Father. And the whole idea is we want to be able to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, not good and famous servant. And for whatever reason, and I'm, you know, I'm in this generation too, we, 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 we can sometimes prioritize or put a lot of weight on things that maybe don't matter as much in the kingdom of God. And whilst we're quick to highlight things that are famous and people that have all this notoriety, we downplay things like faithfulness, consistency, integrity, sticking it out for the long haul, following Jesus for a long time. And you guys have senior pastors who are shining examples of that. And so protect them with everything you got. And you know, a, uh, a great sign of, um, of amazing leaders is the wake they leave behind them and the room they leave for others. And I just love Doug and Beck, amazing pastors here, and Murray and Kaz. Um, I met them on the peninsula at a random cafe. Is that what it's called down in Victoria? The peninsula, the Mornington Peninsula. And I turned to Kaz to, to for getting up. And go, I met you, right, at the cafe. She's like, yeah, you were weird. I was like, thanks. It's going to get up and preach now, a group of people who don't know me. <laughs> so wait, no, it's probably the other person. No, it's probably me. Um, but anyway, it's, it's, it's such a great privilege to be here. And so I'm stoked to be able to speak into your uh, new series, Jesus over everything. So my wife and I have um, been pastoring Suncoast Church for eight years now, been married for almost 11 years. So she was 26, I was 29 when we took on the church. We have a school similar to the, well, pretty much identical to the, um, it is identical, part of the same movement, a school on the Sunshine Coast with it as well. So we're taking on, you know, a significant operation and kind of going in a bit like nervous and apprehensive about this new opportunity for our lives. And um, and before we took on the role of the church, we were living in London. We're kind of doing that, you know, classic pilgrimage that young Aussie newlyweds do. Don't you do it. Like, don't stay. Just stay here. Be planted and don't travel or see the world. Um, <laughs> so, um, hey, listen, those who travel see the world, those who are planted change the world. So, okay, I've got to tone that back. Um, anyways, when we got offered the chance to come back and, and take on the Church of Sunshine Coast, um, you know, I've been a church guy for ages. Again, I'm not sure what your experience is, but so there's a lot of churches. You know, driving here today, I passed a lot of churches to get to 
to Highlands, right? There's churches all over the world, all over your town. And so churches are known, all different individual local churches have their thing, right? They're known for their thing. And you guys, you've got to know you are known well outside of Toowoomba. Trust me, your reputation goes before you. So it's an awesome thing you're part of this mission here. But um, my wife and I are talking about, well, what do we want to be known for? Like, what's the thing we want our church to be when people talk about Suncoast? I'm not that smart, so we don't have any fancy logos or mottos. And, and all. Chloe's like, my wife is like, well, what, just tell me, like, what's the thing in your heart? I'm like, I just want us to be known for being all about, all about Jesus. And as cliche as that is, I'm like, imagine if people, people met, people in our community met people from our church. And we're like, I don't know much about churches, but every time I meet you guys, you guys keep pointing to, to Jesus in an incredible way. And so we kind of came up with just our heartbeat is Jesus in everything. We concluded that Jesus just isn't for Sundays and for church services. That if Jesus really is who he says he is, and if what he has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection really has invited us into the kind of life that he said it invited us into, then surely it should be for bigger than just one day a week. Surely Jesus should be a type of influence that changes every part of our life, the whole way I engage with community and my studies and my work and my sexuality and my relationships. Like every part of my life, Jesus is interested in being um, involved with this. And so I love that you're diving into a series like this, looking at how Jesus is over, um, Jesus is over everything. So we wanted to begin with tonight, I want to deal with, I guess, attention. If, if Jesus really is over everything, what we'll find is there's often attention of something else in our life that also wants that place of being over everything. And so we'll often experience this tension. I don't know if the tension will ever go away. And if you found a secret to this tension I'm about to share, please come and tell me afterwards or Instagram me or something like that. I'd love to hear your secret source. I haven't discovered it yet. But I've discovered there is a tension we need to learn to navigate about what is over everything. And so here's what I've learned about God. And, hope, and hopefully, if you haven't learned this, you'll learn this by tonight. Number one, God really is limitless. He has, he, there's no limit to what God can do in your life and through your life. But at the same time, you and I, you and I have limits. God is limited. We are limited. Now, that's good news. It means you can take the pressure off you being Jesus. Lose the Messiah complex, Okay. You're made in His image, but you're not God. God is limitless. God is over everything. Because God is over everything, you don't have to be. Just breathe that in for a second, right? Because if you're anything like me, I can get worried about so much. And I get, and it's because it's I care, right? It's the same with you. You care about a lot of things in your life. But when we get this idea incorrect, we forget that God is the one who we trust in. God is the one who is limitless. And so I want to trust Him with everything. It doesn't mean I should be lazy or, you know, um, or neglect areas of responsibility in my life, but it kind of is liberating to go, I'm not God. I have my limits. And where my limits, when I reach my limits, God is just beginning with all His possibilities. So in light of this, I want to talk to this tension tonight about, well, what, what then takes precedent? What is over everything in your life? Is it God's limitlessness or is it our limited? I think you get where I'm coming from. And the view in which we approach God, if it's through the lens of our own limits, it can sometimes, maybe we're not getting as much out of our relationship or experience with God that Jesus taught could be possible. So let me break this down for you. Our defining narrative within the Christian faith begins right back in the very first book of our Bible. And again, if you're not a normal church person, you've never opened a Bible before, our Bible's kind of split in two. You've got all what were known historically as the Jewish scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament up until the life of Jesus and everything from the life of Jesus onwards is the New Testament. So that's kind of our Bible. Now, right at the beginning of the Old Testament, the very first book is a book called Genesis. And funny enough, the word Genesis means, all the Bible college students said, huh, origin. So it's the origin story, okay? So there you go. 
for all the DC Marvel fans out there, Star Wars fans. Anyway, okay, I'm just going to keep moving. Um, but right from the beginning, it says this at the beginning of the Genesis story that you and I are made in God's image. We're made in God's image, which is an amazing thought. But alongside of that, in the next chapter, chapter two of Genesis, it says that we are made from the dust. We're made in God's image, but we're made from the dust. And so we have both of these tensions simultaneously in our life. So we're made in the image of God, which means you and I, and this is so good, we are rife with potential. We are born to be able to mimic the behavior and the life of our creator. So therefore you and I are called to create, we're called to protect, right? We are, we, we are made in the image of God. That's such a big idea. But at the same time, that's only half the story. We're also made from dirt, which means you and I ultimately were born with limits, with limitations. We're not God. We're mortal. We're finite. We're human. So here's the human experience. Potential and limitations, both together, hand in hand. And learning to follow Jesus is learning to live with both our potential and our limitations. And why do I share this? I find it, and again, I could be wrong about this. This has certainly been my experience. In, in our culture, we seem to do, and I mean by culture, I mean the general generation that we all currently live in. We're always talking about reaching our full potential, right? Reach for the stars, set big goals and go for it. Now, I am all for that. Try and fulfill your potential best you can, right? But what we hear little about is learning to accept and learning to live with your limitations, what do I mean? Even in church culture, and I've been brought up in church my whole life, we love to see, don't we, Jesus in the big things. Now, I certainly do. I know you just recently had your expansion Sunday. And from what I was hearing, you're encouraging people to believe for expansion in your own lives. Man, I'm encouraged by that. And it's just being around your church for the past 24 hours has encouraged me to even dream more for my own life. So we believe for Jesus in the big things. But, but if we're believing to see Jesus over everything, then we've got to be believing not just to see Jesus in the big things, but also in the small things. Any Blink-182 fans out there? Showing my age. We're believing to see Jesus in everything. And if you're anything like me, I can often be tempted to recognize God's goodness and faithfulness when things are going really well in my life, when things are on fire, when there's growth, when there's momentum, when there's excitement. But I often fail to see where God is when things are slow and mundane, and a little boring and not exciting. Dare I say things are bad and there's suffering in my life and there's worry in my life. I, what, if God really is over everything, where is he when things are like that? And I think where it could be in danger of buying into the idea in our culture that wants to always transgress every single limitation we have rather than accept them. We want to cheat space and time. Ultimately, we'll get into trouble like the first people, Adam and Eve, where they wanted to be like God. But the problem is you and I aren't God. We're made in his image, but we're made from dust. Now this hit me like a brick to the face a couple of years ago when I realized I am no longer hip and cool. Stay with me for a moment because you're like, you were once hip and cool. Just stay with me, right? You're the one with the mullet, so don't pay me out, right? I thought, I thought mullets had their error in the 80s. I was wrong. Turns out all fashion comes full circle which is an encouraging thing to note. I had one, but I was also single for that whole time. So <laughs> didn't help as well that I blonde tipped it. But anyways, it was a, the, yeah, the noughties were a tough era. Um, 
So a couple of, so I still in my brain, I'm 37, in my brain I'm still like 22, I still think I'm at that age. So my wife's always telling me, you're not, like, you're, you're, you're knocking on the door 50, Jono, you're just chill. So I'm like, ease up, Chloe, right, ease up. Um, so I'm, I'm lamenting in my own church a few months ago, and I do, and I'm like, how do I stay cool and relevant? And so this guy after the service comes up to me, this is no exaggeration or whatever lie, and he hands me a pair of bright yellow Crocs. You know what Crocs are? Anyone wearing a pair right now? Who's brave? Who's going to own it? All right, no one. Well, let me tell you something. Crocs are allegedly back in. Now, yeah, exactly. I was surprised. I'm like, you got to know this stuff. Ben, where's Ben? You're supposed to know this. You're the youth pastor. Why aren't you wearing Crocs and socks? Anyway, so he brought me this pair of Crocs. And so all these young adults at our church are wearing Crocs. I'm like, all right, I guess it's, I guess it's cool. So I was like, I want to wear it. My wife, because she immensely loves me, she's like, you are, you're not wearing them. It's true. Like, you're not 18 anymore. And, it, and I'm like, you're right, I'm not. Like, it was a big wake-up moment for me. I can try to dress as cool as I want to dress. I can grow my mullet back. All I can grow my monobrow back. Everything I want to try and be cool. But I got to just accept that I'm not cool anymore, right? We all want to, anyway, it's probably a bad example. Now, don't mishear me, don't mishear me. As much as, yes, there's limits to our life and God is limitless, but remember this. Jesus' agenda, no doubt about it, was to make wounded people whole, sick people healthy, Make lost people found. And I don't want to downplay or talk that down at all, so don't mishear me. What I am highlighting is that not all limitations are all bad. In fact, I've found in my life that limits are often where we can find God's will for our lives. That seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Because we're often taught, now where are your strengths where are your strengths and where is your giftings? And, because that can often be a sign of where, you know, God, what God, God's will for your life. And I totally agree with that. But often it can be our limits are speaking to us as well. And think about this. If we're not careful, we can often be comparing where we're at with where someone else is at or our own limits with someone else's limits and be like, well, I want to be as limitless as they are. And so we aim for that. But maybe God's trying to speak to you about what he's got for you based on what you don't have. We're always trying to transgress what we don't have, but there is an incredible, liberating, freeing sensation to know that God made me the way I am. And the reason he didn't put me in someone else's pair of Crocs, I need to learn to fill my own pair of Crocs. So let me break this down for you. How this, I've got to stop with the Croc example, don't I? Um, the cousin of Jesus, his name was John, and he... Um, Several years before Jesus began his ministry, he was busy baptizing people. And this was significant in Jewish culture. Baptism always spoke of a change in season of life, a growth or a next step. And so he was doing this to prepare people for the coming of Jesus, for the coming of the Messiah. And John, who was one of Jesus' first followers, this is a different John to the John I'm about to talk about. He's the author of the letter that includes John, the cousin of Jesus. But John, the follower of Jesus, he records the event as they happen. Let's, let's, let's trek along here with John. It says, they came to John. Um, this is John's disciples, his followers. And they said to him, Rabbi, that man, and that man is, is Jesus, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Now let me paint this picture of the tension that was happening. Apparently, John's disciples were envious that Jesus' ministry was gaining more momentum than theirs. And consequently, they saw Jesus' success as their demotion. Now, this, was, this is completely messed up for so many reasons. Their whole ministry existed, like everyone's ministry, by the way. Their ministry existed to give Jesus platform. Their ministry existed to point to people's need 
for a saviour, right? That's what they existed for. The moment Jesus started coming to prominence, they were all freaking out because they're losing their status. Let me tell you, your status always existed to give Jesus platform. And so here they were now, consequently, they, what they should have been celebrating, you know, the fact that their mission was being accomplished, Jesus now had platform, they were now envying. And they were jealous and they were critical and they became judgmental and small-minded. And they did the trap that we can all be tempted to fall into. They began comparing. And here's the problem with this, is comparing always flows from making too much of ourselves and too little of Jesus. And when we put parts of our life where we feel we deserve something or we've earned something, we feel we don't measure up as the thing in our life and the center of our life and our guiding principle and the thing that drives us, you're making too much of yourself and too little of Jesus. Again, I've got to close this door. You're awesome. You're so awesome that God saw fit to die for your potential. He loves you and He's he's for you. But our trick is this, learning not to put ourselves in the spotlight and learning to make much of Jesus. And when we don't make much of Jesus, recognizing that He is over everything, we think we're over everything. And that always leads to us feeling like we need to compare, that we never measure up, that we want to be better than others. So in, in light of this tension, I want to look at what, how John pushed back against his disciples. And man, I have learned so much from his example and hopefully this is going to speak to your life too. Here's what John says in reply. He says, John said, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. In other words, what's John saying? He's saying this, you and I have limits. You can only receive what has been given to you from heaven. As if you and I haven't been given everything, you have limits. Let's throw that next slide up. Think about this for a moment. And there's lots of them. And John was quick to push back on his disciples saying, hang on a second. I know you're freaking out because you're losing your platform and you're losing your influence and all those things, but this was never about you in the first place. Our influence is limited. Jesus is limited. We have limits. Let me break down some of our limits here just to paint the picture of what I'm saying here. And it's a big list and it's not even exhaustive, but roll with me for a moment. Let's throw it. Okay. Can you guys read that? Let's go through this for a second. Okay. Number one. Okay. Our bodies have limitations. Now, I know I'm a fine specimen of a human being, but I'm never going to play in the NBA. Why? Because I'm five foot nothing, <laughs> right? I'm from Hobbiton. So, which generally means as much as I would have believing and aiming for the stars and, John, I believe in your potential, I'm not going to play in the NBA. Some of you might, right? So our bodies just have, they just have limits. Our minds have limits, right? Now, you're all brilliant in your areas, but not everyone can be an absolute genius in the world's greatest mind in physics and philosophy and theology and chemistry and mathematics and creating memes all at once, right? Our intellect has limits. Our personalities have limits, right? You, you have the personality you have and, and that sets you up with some superpowers, but also some kryptonite. You know, I'm like a... Um, I don't know exactly how to, I'm not a big fan of labeling personalities. I'm like an outgoing kind of guy, right? And so, so I'm good at, what outgoing kind of people are good at, um, good at, um, uh, they're good at some stuff, right? But they're not good at everything, you know? They're good at communicating sometimes, you know? But we're not good at much else, you know? So your personalities will have your giftings, right? Your families of origin, it just is what it is. Now, the family you came from, it set you up in some areas, it made you awesome, but also you've got certain Limits. So for example, growing up, all we had as Italian children 
was spaghetti, right? So that was my diet growing up. Um, your socioeconomic origins. Now, this isn't to say it puts total cap on your potential, but it does set certain limits in how you get a leg up in life. Our careers and education, our seasons of life. This, this is extraordinary to me. My, my wife and I are big on this. So, um, you know, we've, we've, <laughs> we, um, we've never owned a brand new car, ever. And I don't say that as a badge or anything, but it's like, we like recognize that we were young and our goal, we had certain financial goals, which meant when we'd see people who were 10, 15 years ahead of us and look at the house they had or the car they had, and we're like, oh man, I so want that. They're in a different season of life. They've been like double income, no kids for like 20 years. They've had time to save. You're hustling right now, paying for rent or whatever it might be, right? Different seasons of life gives you, are you hearing me, right? Gives you different kind of limits. I'm not, I'm just trying to be real about this. And also there's just, there's just God's call on your life. So, and again, this is an exhaustive list. Now, I say all this not to make anyone feel low about where they're at, but I say all that to make this point. Don't allow your limits to make little of God. Because as much as we have our limits, God doesn't. He is over everything. And there can be a temptation for us to believe that our current circumstance, and hear me, our current limitations can indicate that somehow God is absent. And the lie of our limits will often be that it needs to take center stage in our life. Focus on your limits. Keep your eye on your limits. Take note of your limits. Always be about your limits and try to, try to overtake your limits. But when you keep doing that and focus on your limits, your limits have taken center stage. And the temptation is it can put God to the peripherals of your life and you forget that God is in control. And when we keep our limits in the middle of our life, it can sometimes lie to us that God doesn't care, that He's not for us, that He's not in it. But John is amazing. John recognized in the middle of all this that his limits didn't have to set the tone for how much he trusted God. He refused to let his limits set the tone of his faith. Check out what he says next to his, his disciples. He said, you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah. But I was sent ahead of him. John was a big deal. In fact, it was such a big deal. If you read other parts of um, the New Testament accounts of his life, people regularly were like, we, we know, John, you're like talking about you getting people ready for the Messiah, but it's really you, isn't it? You're just playing, you're playing the humble game. He's like, no. And he had to repeatedly tell people as gifted and as influential as he was. Heck, even Jesus said, John is the most important people, person in the whole kingdom of God. John was a big deal, but even John embraced his limits. He says, I am not the Messiah. I might be gifted and I might have talent and I might have position, but I'm not God. I have my limits. And here's the point. People who embrace their limits know that they are not responsible for everyone else's happiness, nor do they put that kind of expectation on others. Ultimately, they lose the Messiah complex. They stop trying to make their own life the center of their life and stop trying to be all things at all times to themselves. And they recognize that there is one person who's limitless, and that is Jesus. Sometimes the best thing for our faith is to know who you're not. Man, when I learned this, and I continually find I have to learn this over and over again, it has been so liberating for me to just be comfortable with the shoes God has put me in. Does that mean I shouldn't aim high and reach for my potential? Of course it doesn't mean that whatsoever. But it means I shouldn't let my limits be the center of my drive and the center of my life and the center of what sets the tone for my life. Allow God's limitlessness to be the center of our lives. And so, so 
what John does by recognizing he wasn't the Messiah, he took off his, exp- his own limitations of being the center of his world and he recognized that it was Jesus who had to be the center of this world, that it was Jesus who was over and in everything. And when we were like that, we realized that we don't have to have it all figured out to have Jesus. Now, what John says next is super healthy for me because he gives like an illustration and instead of just getting all philosophical about it, he paints a picture of the point he's trying to make here. So track along what he says. He goes, and this, again, he's given an illustration. He says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. Okay, bride and bridegroom with me. It says, the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him. And notice this, it's full of what? It's full of? Joy. Let's say it with joy. It's full of? Joy. Oh, I thought you guys are awesome. Uh, he's full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. Now, we have a word for the friend of the bridegroom in Australian culture. What is it? Best man. Anyone here had the privilege of being a best man or like a maid of honor before? Okay, great. So you would know if you play your cards right as best man or maid of honor, you can have as much, if not even more fun than the bride and groom on the wedding day, right? If you know what you're doing, it can be a great old time at someone else's expense, right? So this is what John's saying. He goes, I'm the best man. He goes, and I'm already full of joy. Let me give you an example. Um, there's, three, there's four boys in my family, so we all made a pack. Each one of us would be one of each other's best men. So the first brother got married, Ashley. I think he's, he's spoken here a few times before. Some of you would have heard him speak. Um, he got married first, and so my other older brother, David, was his, his best man. And it was a classic moment in the uh, wedding when it's like, who's got the rings? Everyone was like, oh, do you have the ring? Oh, we don't have the ring. Oh, here it is. <laughs> you know, everyone's like, oh, it's good. Sympathy laughs. Anyway, the following wedding, Ashley was best man. Dave was getting married, and it's like, oh, who's got the ring? Who's got the ring? We did it all. <laughs> and David's like, hurry up, hurry up. And Ashley's like, ah, oh, actually, takes off his boot, takes off his sock and out drops the, the ring. Very romantic, you know. And, and I'm like, uh-oh, this is heating up now because my wedding arguably would be next. And sure enough, it was. And if you know my little brother or anything about my little brother, put it this way, my little brother just finished a national tour of America with the Backstreet Boys. So that gives you an idea of my little brother. Yeah. Um, so... So I'm standing there on my wedding day going, he's gonna, I know he's going to one-up Ashley with the whole sock thing. So I'm standing there, he's over my shoulder, and my dad, who was doing the wedding, he's like, who's got the ring, you know? And Chloe looks over my shoulder, I can see her, my wife, giving my little brother the death stare, like, don't you dare do the sock thing, you know, don't. And, we're like, Haha. and he goes through the boot, and she's like, don't, and he's like, joking. <laughs> At the time, my little brother had long curly hair that came down to his shoulders, ringlet hair, it's quite fascinating. And... He gave himself bangs. I don't know what they're called, where he just went snip right across. So just box. It's the biggest regret of our photographer on the day was that my brother was in the photos. You can go see them for yourself. So I was standing there. My wife, my wife was already ticked off at his haircut. His hair don't rather than a hair do. But don't shh. And where's the rings? He pulls back his hair. And at those time, he had two sleepy earrings. And they were both dangling from the sleepy earrings. So off he pulled them. And off he pulled them. Here you go. I was like, <laughs> really romantic for my wedding. Chloe loved it. So I was like, I made a promise that day and I put it in my vows. Can we just change the vows up? I promise to love and protect, to honor and keep you and to get my little brother back at his wedding. I, I take you to be my wife. So his wedding came along about 20 years later and they got married. Him and his wife got married on a farm. I was like, that's how I planned this. So the time came for it. Who's got the wedding rings? <laughs> and like, come on, where is it? And I was like, huh. and I walk off. And like, where's he gone? I come back with a shovel over my shoulder. <laughs> and like, what? I stand in front of them, 
start digging a big hole. Everyone's like, what the heck's going on? Digging. And I'm like, I hope I found the right spot. <laughs> digging, digging. Sure enough, out of the dirt, I pull up the rings and go, happy wedding day. This guy won and had, I was full of joy on the wedding day. Can I just say, I thought, I know, I thought I got him back pretty well. But here's, I think here's the point that John is making. Right? We don't have to be the center of our story. We don't, we're not the bride or the bridegroom or the bride. We're just the best man or the maid of honor. And notice John's word, he says, and he is full of joy. And what's the whole point of this? And in this series, we kick it off about Jesus being over everything. The temptation is often for us to want to put ourselves with all of our limits and all of our strengths and all of our weaknesses somehow in the spotlight. And we let ourselves be the thing that sets the tone for our life. But John's like, hey, if you really want to know how to have a life that's full of joy, you really want to understand how this faith thing works, move out of the spotlight. Recognize that the spotlight should be on Jesus. And when that happens in your life, like in John's words, it says, you will be full of joy. When Jesus is in the center of everything and when Jesus is over everything, your life will overflow with the kind of joy that only Jesus being in the center of your life can bring. I know you might have Jesus on the peripheral. You might have Jesus on Sunday. And look, Jesus is secure. He's not gonna be offended by that. But if you really want what it means to be under the covering and have Jesus over everything, move out of the spotlight, let Him take center stage. And John, in John's words, your life will then be full of joy. So my question for you tonight, hopefully is simple. What place have you given Jesus in your life? Where is He? Because our trust and the Christian hope is that Jesus is over everything, but have you put Him over everything in your own life. John goes on and he kind of brings his teaching to the disciples to a conclusion but says this. He says, that joy of mine, that joy is mine and it is now complete. When you find yourself always focused on yourself and on your limits and you keep the spotlight on them and you lament them and you're fighting them, it keeps them center stage. They become a lens in which you view God and it dims the brightness of His glory. But when you embrace your limits, what it does is it pushes them to the fringes of your life, and then you're able to put Jesus in the center, and He will fill everywhere that you lack. Notice He says, this joy of mine is now complete. My completeness didn't come because I strived and I worked and I kept wanting to become better. Completeness for me came, wholeness came for me when I put Jesus in the center of my life. When that happens, He may then even turn your limits into strengths. And to conclude it all, and I want to finish with this, the final line that John says here. It's an amazing teaching. I encourage you in your own time to, to read through this yourself and kind of learn what you can personally from it. But he says a line here that is it's a very, very widely quoted line from Scripture. And here's how John concludes his teaching. He says, he, meaning Jesus, he must become greater. And I, I must become Less. Do you know this is what true worship is? True worship and, you know, on Sundays we come and we sing together. That is certainly one honest and authentic form of worship. It's not all of it, but it's part of it. But what worship is, it's, it is taking the moment to step out of the spotlight and to be reminded that Jesus is over everything. He is the king of everything. And he's the Lord of my life. And it gives him permission to, again, be seated on the throne of our lives, saying he must become greater and I must become less. It's a way it's, giving up control. It's not having to have it all together. And it's recognizing that Jesus is in control. It's not letting the limits of our life set the tone for our life, but rather it's letting God's limitless set the tone for our life. And every time we lift our attention upwards and are reminded 
of who should have the center place of our heart and the center of our life and be in control. It's amazing how it puts everything else in its proper place and it gives us a proper perspective of everything. And I find when I let my limits and my weaknesses and my ambitions set the tone for my life, it, I end up becoming com- competitive and comparison rules and I end up being anxious and worried about my future. And when I keep myself at the center of my world, nothing's good enough, people don't measure up, standards are never good enough for me, my own standards aren't good enough for me. But when I step out of the spotlight and I said, I've got to become less, he needs to become greater in my life. It's amazing how all those things, it doesn't make them not valid anymore. They still need to be addressed and grown and, and you know, I need to mature in these areas of my life, but they don't become the centerpiece of my life. Jesus becomes the centerpiece of my life. And instead of letting my weaknesses and my limits be the lens in which I view God's faithfulness, I let Jesus' perfection become the lens in which I view God's faithfulness. And everything else in my life and everything else in your life will get put in its proper place. Maybe there's some things in your life tonight that you've deemed far more important than you should have deemed them. It's not that they're not important. It's not that they're not particular. It's not that they shouldn't be addressed, but maybe they just shouldn't have all the spotlight. Because the truth is there is only one person who can handle our worship, and that is Jesus. And whatever is central, whatever is first, will get our worship. And so I want to finish with this prayer for us tonight, that we all in our own hearts be able to say this. Jesus must become greater and I must become less. Maybe something else has kind of blurred your courage and blurred your faith and made you doubt God. And maybe, maybe you're coming in tonight so aware of where you fall short and so aware of your limits. And if you weren't, I certainly reminded you of them tonight. Thanks for coming, Jono. Um, these are moments you can go, God, in the middle of all my limits and all my humanity, the fact that I'm made from the dust, I know that I'm made in the image of a God who is limitless and I want that God to now be in the center of my life and become greater. So Heavenly Father, that is our prayer in this moment. May you become greater. Maybe you just need to pray that prayer in your own heart right now. If there's something that's been loud and been in your ear and been discouraging you and maybe been blurring your view of God, maybe it's been over everything. Just now in your heart, say, God, let you increase. and I decrease. Heavenly Father, for the hearts maybe tonight that have been discouraged by things going on in their own world, where they've been aware of perhaps their limits far too much, I pray tonight they would be reminded and encouraged that you are for them, that you love them, and your love for them knows no limits. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for having me, Highlands. God bless you. Thanks again for listening to the Highlands Highfields Message Podcast. We hope you feel encouraged to take these words with you to know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and to make a difference. If you feel moved by today's message and want to connect with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at highlands.highfields on Facebook or Instagram or head to highlandschurch.org.au for more resources and information. Be sure to follow the Highlands Highfields message podcast on your preferred platform to stay up to date with our latest message. We hope to see you in person soon.